So what if instead of focusing on trying to figure out alcohol, you tried to figure out yourself. You learned how to do all of the things that you think alcohol is doing for you, but better. You tapped into really understanding what the messages from your body meant and how to use your emotions to your advantage and how to really expand your desires to get what it is you finally really want and have real, lasting, sustainable pleasure. That is possible for you, and it is all available to you in the self-study course, The Naturally Sober Woman. It is everything that I teach my one-on-one clients, but it is compact for you, lifetime access on demand at a super affordable price available to you right now. You're going to go to my website, marywagstaffcoach.com, right there. It'll say self-study course or follow the link in the show notes right here. Get in there. One short video, just the welcome ceremony. There's a commence, a beautiful commencement ceremony that really anchors you into your intention for wanting to make this change into your life will change your life forever. It'll put you on a trajectory of new possibility because the bigger your desire is, the easier it's going to be to say goodbye to alcohol. So go on over to my website, get inside of the Naturally Sober Woman, and I will see you in there. Staff, I am a life coach who ended a 20-year relationship with alcohol without labels, counting days, or ever making excuses. In this podcast, we will explore my revolutionary approach to quitting alcohol that breaks all the rules, amazing stories from women who are throwing a better party because of it, and how you can stop drinking and start living. This show is not a substitute for rehabilitation, medical treatment, or advice, so please talk to a health professional if your alcohol consumption is a risk to your mental or physical health. Now on with the show. Hello, my beautiful listeners. Welcome back to the show. I am so thrilled to be offering this interview today. It is was my pleasure to interview this woman who I've worked with. She's just a wonderful shining light and I'm so proud of her for being on the other side of alcohol because her light is definitely you know, we're wanting to shine brighter into the world and um you know, alcohol really dulls that inner light and really masks this this facade where of, you know, and you'll hear her talk about her own health, mental and physical health and wellness and how um, with the the societal implications of alcohol being so praised and accepted um, in our culture, and then the chemical reward that creates a habit, um, you know, it's it's really you. The brain will do anything it can to get that reward, and so I have new listeners all the time, and so I just wanted to remind you guys to remember, um, addictions and habits do not discriminate. Everyone has a different level of dependency on alcohol, but with frequency and duration, even if it's not affecting your life in a really negative way, does not mean that you don't have a dependency on it, whether it's emotional or not. And I always say kind of like, if you have to make a plan to not drink, then you have some sort of dependency on it. Otherwise, you just wouldn't even be thinking about it. So when your brain has to make a conscious effort to not drink, 
you ha- there is there is a patterning in your brain for habitually drinking, um, and that could be habitually twice a week, could habitually whenever, but it is a habit, and so um, a lot of things affect our like how addiction shows up for us. But I just, you know, the stigma of addiction, especially when with alcohol in our society is really outdated. So just ignore that. (laughs) Um, You know, can alcoholism run in your family? You know, yes. However, it's subjective, right? You have your own, you, you have your own mind, you have your own awareness, there are tools out there. It is not just something that happens to a few people, then they go rock bottom. We know it's not just black and white. And so just like so many things in our culture and our society right now that we are waking up to the truth, right? Awareness, education, and growth. And so none of this is to be shamed. This is awareness and truth, although stark and scary and shocking sometimes when you're kind of blindsided by like, oh yeah, that really wasn't what I thought, how I was living my life is a good thing. It only benefits everyone, right? We want to live in a place where our own light is shining, where we're not in shame of the past circumstances. All we can do is make change and move forward and be a better of service to the rest of the world, you know, and we're seeing our civil rights, the civil rights movement happening right now. Like we can't sit if you are a white person in shame and regret. All you can do is say, wow, okay, I didn't realize all those years that the 4th of July was representative of a few white dudes. Okay, well, let's change that, right? So we start to celebrate everyone and we start to make sure that if we're not just fighting for the cause of when it stops with us, right? If we believe in freedom and equality, that we believe in freedom and equality for everyone. And the same, you know, when you have, when your mind starts to shift around the realities of alcohol, you are much more um, equipped to handle more and more awareness because your capacity and your awareness grows and you realize like, wow, I had been living in this one delusion for my entire life. What, um, what else, what else isn't true? And so, um, but just please remember that there is scientific backing to what creates a habit and you can create a habit around anything. And, um, an awareness that came to me is over the last couple of years, I've been really utilizing my tools, right? So you can learn yoga, you can learn meditation, you can learn mindfulness, but applying them is where the real work comes in. Um, and so, but any habit that is not a tool becomes a crutch, right? So there's really only two ways that we interact with life, something that really supports us or something that doesn't. And so if you do something regularly every single day, either it's a tool and it brings more ease and satisfaction and joy to your life, or it's a crutch and it's something that now you're dependent on that's taking away from you and from your energy. Enjoy this show. It's an amazing interview and I can't wait to talk to you soon. If you haven't yet, please make sure that you um, sign up for the, just so to be on my email list and get the five, the essential five shifts um, 
workshop, but then also sign up for a free alignment session. It's really fun to get to know my audience a little bit better, but I'm here to serve you. So I want to make sure that you're taking in this information, but you're getting the most out of it based on your particular mind and your thoughts, because they're all different. And we, we've faced, um, all sorts of different circumstances in our lives. And so our habitual thinking and belief systems is different, but we want to kind of expose that crack it wide open and see what's in there and what's not serving you. Welcome back, my beautiful listeners. Thank you so much for being here. We have another beautiful, empowered woman to share her story today. And I'm just so excited um, to have Megan Moran here. Megan, thank you so much for being here. And I'm just going to have you start by telling our listeners a little bit about yourself. Okay. Hi, Mary. Thanks for having me here. Um, my name is Megan. I'm in Northeast Portland. Um, I'm 40 and I grew up in the Bay Area and moved to um, Portland five years ago with my husband and two dogs and um, we're loving it here and I work remotely for an interior design firm um, still in the Bay Area so <laughs> still working on uh, getting all of my my roots up here officially, but um, yeah, so I do interior design and um, yeah, that's about it. Awesome. Thank you so much. I always learn so much about, about the women that I'm interviewing from this podcast. <laughs> like sometimes you just don't talk about it depending on the context. So um, what is so amazing about your life right now in quarantine? <laughs> what's, a, what's a magical thing that you're, that you're up to or you're doing right now? Um, I, so before quarantine, but it's still do, I do, um, have you heard of EMDR and EFT therapy before? I have. Yeah. Yeah. So I am doing that, um, to my therapist is, she is in Colorado. And so all of our sessions have been remote. So, but it's, so I'm being able to still see her in quarantine, but, um, we're just doing, it's just trauma therapy to work with emotions. And I have these therapeutes that, um, to work with like desensitization. Um, I guess it's kind of hard to explain on a podcast, (laughs) but that's kind of like, I do this two hours a week. Um, and that's been just an amazing tool and gift to be able to have in quarantine. And then, um, yeah, what other magical thing, I guess, honestly, like the time with my husband, I know this sounds so cheesy, but it's helped us work on like some issues that I feel like this like jam packed amount of time, like those issues would have gone on for maybe a year you know, you don't, you just keep sweeping stuff under the rug because you're just like, oh, we'll work on that tomorrow. And, but now we're just here and we're together. So we have to work on the things. So I feel like we just jam packed like a year of stuff into like seven weeks. So that's just been really great to kind of, kind of been able to like refall in love. <laughs> I love that. That's yeah. Not easy at all. Yeah. So. Thank you for sharing that. I think so many people <laughs> are, you know, in they're in quarantine with their families and kind of like, uh, you know, and yeah. for a lot of people, I think it's triggering their drinking. And so figuring out a new perspective of 
how can we take this and just kind of see each other in a new light again? Um, yeah. really beautiful. I love yeah, that. I think it started like that. And then I was like, okay, we got to do something. So, um, that's just been really nice and not drinking in quarantine has been really nice. I keep, I keep mentioning that. I'm like, oh my God, if I was still drinking, I would have been a mess during this time. Like, I just think of all the stupid shit I would have done and um, it would have just put me spiraling into so much anxiety. So I'm just, um, who says that? Laura McCowan, like alcohol is like throwing anxiety, throwing gasoline on your anxiety. So I feel that just a hundred percent. So, yeah, I know. I'm glad that you mentioned that because I think that that's something that, you know, people use as a coping mechanism, but as we know, it only like, it only exacerbates the process or those emotions in the end, um, so much more than just kind of settling into them. So I'm glad that you brought that up. Um, yeah, I would love for you to start out by telling us a little bit about your drinking history and how that for you. Yeah. So, um, I was kind of a late, late to the game. I didn't drink in high school and not really in college. Um, and I started, I kind of, I grew up with seeing my parents drink wine and stuff, but I just, it just wasn't a part of my life. And then, um, I went to, through a really bad breakup after college and it was just, it was like, my parents got divorced. I went through this breakup and I had this, um, other traumatic incident on the Bay Bridge happened, which is why I'm doing the EMDR therapy to work through that. But so those are like my three major events that I then started getting panic attacks out of nowhere. And I started self-medicating. Um, and it was just, now it's just this thing where I'm like, well, what came first, the drinking or the anxiety? Um, but it was all just around the same time and just going to a lot of doctor's appointments until they just didn't know what was wrong with me. So they were just like, well, you're having anxiety attacks. And I didn't understand that, but I did notice that if I took a Klonopin and had a glass of wine, um, I felt normal. Mm. And so, um, I just, that was kind of just my every day was I took Klonopin during the day to get through my day. And then at night, um, you know, after work, I would just start opening the wine. So, and you know, that didn't start, I mean, at first my drinking just started as fun. You know, I lived in San Francisco, I was in my twenties and I work in design and this, the drinking culture just is hand in hand, you know, like our monthly meetings were happy hours. And, um, and so I just, I don't know, then so yeah, that was like the beginning. I guess I was like 25, 26. I think I started questioning when I was 27. Um, and then I'm 40 now and I didn't quit till I was 39. So I had quite a history there. But I, my first questioning was in 2007. Um, and I was dating this guy and I completely blacked out this conversation that we had about like his mother dying of cancer. and. I mean, trying to like backpedal that, <laughs> like mm-hmm. not remembering that. So that was when I first was like, mm. I felt really bad. I went to an AA meeting, a couple in 2007 and it wasn't for me. And then I just kind of forgot about the whole thing and just kept going on with my life. And like, I was full on back into drinking. 
Um, and then, gosh, then it just, we, my husband and I moved to Portland in 2015 and I started, um, working from home and I, I just, the self-medicating was just, it just got really bad. Um, and I decided to finally quit in February 3rd of 2019. Um, and it was just, it's just been the best and we'll get into all that, I'm sure. But yeah, so it was like, a, I was a late bloomer and then I had 15 years of just partying and thinking that was okay. But, you know, I was still functioning and still going to work and, you know, doing all the like things that look normal, but I, I did have this. I don't know. I, I felt like I had a secret or something. Like I knew that I knew a lot of people drank, but I was like, I feel like I take my next level, but I just, you know, and, but I, I don't know. Anyway. I think you. <laughs> no. And I'm just, I think that it's so brave of you to just talk about the trauma piece of it and kind of that overlapping like gray area of like, what did come first, but then, you know, really recognizing that you were using it to try and to try to solve for this problem that right. you know, maybe you didn't really understand, um, at a point. And so, um, what was, what was kind of the, the deciding factor when you really made the decision to, to kind of, to really look further into yeah. stopping? Yeah. So my big, um, I don't count my days or anything, but my, I do have like two sober birthdays. Um, one is February 3rd of 2019, which is the day that I decided to change my life. And then the next, I had a period of moderate, trying to moderate, mm -hmm. <laughs> which we were talking about, it does not work. And then, so my next sober birthday would be like May 26th. But um, I went out for a brunch with an old family friend here in Portland and um, I was really hungover. I went out with her and her partner and their six-year-old son and my husband and I was super hungover and it was just one of those Saturday mornings that you wake up and you're like, oh my God, I hope I just would do anything not to have to go to that brunch, but I'm going to power through and I took a Klonopin. I had like two glasses of wine while I was getting ready for the brunch, which is just so insane to me, like to already get your buzz on before you're going. But that was just where I was like, and I just ended up getting shit faced at brunch with this friend that I've, I've, it's been a family friend since I was in seventh grade. And I woke up like that whole day, the brunch was destroyed. I ended up drinking the whole rest of February 2nd. And I woke up on February 3rd with, probably like the worst anxiety attack hangover that I've ever had. And I was just mortified, mortified that I had, um, that I had done that at brunch. I couldn't even text her to apologize and that, I don't know what it was. It was like something beyond my control. Like it was outside of me, something that just was like, you can't do this anymore. Like you're never like, you just can't. And I just, I, it was like that surrender that we were talking about. And I just was, I read it in all my sober books too, like laying on the floor, like, oh my God, like, what am I going to do? And just knowing that I needed to stop. Um, so yeah, February, February 3rd, after a disastrous, mortifying brunch. 
just with this the hangover of like your heart just like beating out of your chest and you're just like oh my god I, I couldn't even like walk to the bathroom I just was so anxious and I don't I didn't leave my room for like three days which was really bad I couldn't eat and um and then that just that day like seriously something else like came over I don't know what it was but um divine intervention I guess <laughs> yeah I well I know so many people will be able to relate to that feeling of just like deep despair of, yes um and you know having whatever the clinching factor is that shifts it to a point and maybe it's just awareness or maybe yes like this divine intervention of just like girl this cannot happen anymore and um, thank you for sharing that because I think that that felt experience is so you know will be really you know apparent for so many people I know I've been there and I know so many of my clients that I work with have been there um, as well what was your process like from that point did a switch kind of flip for you at that point or how did you work through it yeah so I remember like um that that first week that I had made the decision, um, I just remember it being like a really exciting week, but also just really hard too. Cause I think like, um, I don't know, there's so much with like quitting drinking. Like you think you're going to miss out. It's like, you get scared, like, Oh, what will life be like without this? Or, you know, so I went through all those emotions, but I think I was also just really excited you know, like I was just really eager and I was just ready to just be done with that drinking part of my life. You know, it's just, it seemed like I had, I had like, there was nowhere else to go. Like it wasn't fun anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, like there was no more like romantic dinners or like, you know, cool vacations with tons of cocktails and um, like that has just been done. And so um I think I'm diverting from your question. But <laughs> no, no, you're not actually at all. You're just like, <laughs> talking about your, yeah, just talking about your process of what that looked like when you were, I mean, and the thought process is all of that. I love that though, like thinking about, yeah, like been there, done that, like now what? Yeah, it's just not working anymore. It didn't work. But so there was just this things, excitement, but also I'm like, I'm a really impatient person. So I just like, wanted all the magical things to happen to me that I was reading about in the books, you know? And so I feel like for all of that, really, it took a good six months, I think, for me to finally just be in like a really empowered, positive place of being like, yeah, that shit's not allowed in my life anymore. And Mm -hmm. we're not doing that. Um, But I relied, I mean, I can't talk more highly about um like Laura McCowan and Hollywood Mm -hmm. those two I think that February 3rd I had googled like how to quit drinking without AA and that's how I found hip sobriety and then Mm -hmm. Laura and Holly had um their home podcast and I just would listen to that like I took some time off from work and just listened to that like all day journaling it was like a hundred percent self-care and I was I had the luxury of already, well, I took the time off of work, but I work from home already. So I had a lot of 
private time or alone time to mm-hmm. be able to do that early inner work. Yeah. That's so important. I'm really glad that you pointed that out. Um, finding the, the program that works for you, finding the message that works for you yeah. is so huge. And then, um, but I do think taking that, that me time or figuring out a way to get it because without the reflection, it's kind of like, you're just, we were talking about this before. You're just kind of solving for the drinking when you try to moderate and you can speak to this, you're moderating, you're just like not drinking. But if you're going and solving for the root, you're really looking at where your beliefs and your thoughts are behind that action. And so um, can you talk a little bit about that? The, you know, what it was like for you trying to moderate versus doing the, the kind of self-reflective piece? Oh my gosh. I mean, moderation, it's like, my whole thing is like, I'm free now. Like I'm free. All that is out of my brain. When you're trying to moderate, it's, I know we've like read about this too, but it's like, it's still in your brain and it's still controlling you. Like you don't count how many, I'm never like, I can only have two glasses of water today. You know, like you just, it's just a natural healthy thing. And you just, if you're able to do other things in your head, then count how many glasses of water you're doing. So it's like when I was moderating, one that just didn't work <laughs> at all. I just, I can't moderate. I can't, um, if I'm going to have one glass of wine, I want the whole bottle kind of deal. Um, and then let's see how, I guess, yeah, it was just the idea that it was still in my head and overtaking my thoughts and dictating my actions. Mm-hmm. You know, and I had kind of set up some rules for myself for moderating, like, that I wasn't going to have alcohol. Sorry. Um, Those are my doggies. I was like, I'm not going to have alcohol, like drink any at home, but I can drink outside of the house. Like if we go out for dinner, but then I was finding that I just wanted to have all of our meals out. Like every time my husband would get home from work, I'm like, so let's go out tonight for dinner, you know? And it was just because Mm -hmm. I could go and have some alcohol and then, you know, have some wine and then I would get home from dinner and then I would still want more. And, but I would, you know, so it just, it didn't work. But I think just that idea that it, it was still in my head and still dictating. I just can't have it in my life basically. Mm -hmm. And I, I like having it out of my life because now my head, there's so much space for other thoughts, Mm -hmm. you know, like I, I, I guess that's now that I'm not drinking, I'm realizing like how consumed by drinking I was and I didn't even realize it. But even from thinking, like, do I have wine in the fridge or do I have wine for later? Like all of that stuff or, yeah, just thinking about it or having to go get it or where was I going to get it or when was my next drink going to be? All of that just overtook. And it's hard for me to even think about how I was able to think about other things considering I was spending so much time thinking about what I was going to drink. It, yeah. it, it sounds like a totally different person. It's hard for me to even, <laughs> I'm like having to remember what it was like. Cause I feel like such a different person now. You know what I mean? Like, don't you just feel so much different? I do. It's amazing. It's so, I had someone I, else I interviewed was talking about kind of doing um, like a time lapse <laughs> of her day, like kind <laughs> yeah. of parting it like a pie graph. And it was 
she said that was one of the biggest things for her is to actually see the amount of time alcohol took up in her day, not just drinking it, but the whole process. I didn't, I was always like a very prepared drinker. I didn't want to leave my alcohol consumption up to anyone else. So I always made, like, I always brought my own, like, I wasn't really bringing wine to be nice to a party. (laughs) I was bringing it to make sure that I, I mean, I was too, I would share, but I I know what you mean, but just to make sure that there was going to be some, no matter what. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And you know, and it's just like, it's just the way it was. And that just goes to show you at the, at the, that point, how, much your brain, which is just the natural process of your brain was relying on that. And I think what's interesting that you pointed out about moderation, about just thinking about going out, you know, like then you're like, oh, well, can we just go out instead? Because (laughs) so much of the, um, the pleasure response comes from even just preparing for, like you get excited to, to go and have a drink, right? And so if you're always moderating and you're just always thinking about it, it's like, well, are you still having the urge? Are you fixing that piece of it? You know, right. the whole thing. So I'm really glad that you pointed that out because it is something that I have talked about um, on the podcast and um, I think is really important because I do think people kind of hold on to that as like, I just want to be able to do this, but right. once, until you can take it off the plate altogether come back at it where it's completely irrelevant, I say, then moderate, go for it, but you won't want to. Right. It's going to be disappointing every single time. Right. You're always going to have the same result, you know? Yeah. It will will never change. It will never change. Mm -hmm. Yeah. uh, yeah. Well, thank you so much. I wanted to ask you a little bit about, because I've worked with several people that have, um, we've worked about on their drinking, but it's also in, in return, I mean, the way you do one thing is the way you do everything. And we kind of talked about that before um, we started recording was how it has helped you with your other kind of with other mental health stuff, like dealing with trauma and showing up for yourself with like all of your emotional and mental hygiene. Um, yeah. I mean, the mental health is um, my reason for doing this. I mean, I honestly can't believe that I say that I've struggled with anxiety for 15 years because now that the alcohol is gone, so is the anxiety, (laughs) you know, it's like, oh, and that to me is like, so if I hadn't lied to the doctors, like, of course, every or not, of course, everybody, but I lied to the doctors about how much I drank. If I had not, you know, I always filled out the thing like one to two glasses a week or whatever, but no, I was drinking like a bottle of wine or more a night. If I had just been upfront from the beginning and told the doctors what I was doing, they would have been like, they might've said something else, you know, but instead they prescribed me Clonopin and Zoloft, um, I'm like really happy to say that I don't have to take Clonopin anymore. I should never have been having to take that, but, um, but yeah, I just, I, um, I used to get these really bad dizzy spells and that's what, how my, that's what the, what I was going to the doctor for was dizzy spells. And I, it had gone into the point where I couldn't walk across the street to go to the store because I was getting dizzy and I stopped driving and I became really agoraphobic, like a hundred to hundred percent, just like agoraphobic from this debilitating anxiety that now 
I'm realizing was from the alcohol. So it's like not drinking for me right now is just a no brainer because I've got my life back. You know, I can like walk across the street to the store and not have a panic attack or I can drive my car again. And I just, I feel really almost stupid for not realizing how connected, how connected it was, the alcohol and mental health. Like I always thought, like, oh, I'm sure I shouldn't be doing this, but I didn't listen. And I don't know why I didn't listen to that inner voice that was like, this probably isn't a good idea. But, you know, I really did just think like this wine is calming me down. Mm-hmm. Once I have a glass of wine, I'll relax. Like I bought into all of that and it's just, it's the exact opposite. So yeah, now that I don't have alcohol in my life, I would say that my anxiety is at a manageable amount that I can deal with on a day-to-day without having to drink two bottles of wine and have Klonopin. Um, it's amazing. Life, <laughs> you know? Yeah, it's amazing. Thank you for saying all of that. Do you think yeah. that you're also showing up for your emotions differently? Um, yes. I mean, it sounded like you were like, you know, doing work with your husband and yeah. therapy and kind of just confronting things as they show up without a lot of judgment. Totally. And what you were saying earlier too, about like reacting, like I am paying attention to everything and those emotions and not reacting to them. Like, cause I don't have, I'm not drowning everything out or covering everything up. I'm just tackling it head on. And like, the more that I'm doing that, the easier it is. And then there's not that much to like tackle anymore. Cause everything just feels kind of balanced and nice and harmonious or something Mm -hmm. you know there's not this like chaos in my life that drinking had brought Mm -hmm. um now it's just I don't know I get to just process things and breathe and like take a pause and even if that's just doing like a breathing exercise for a second I would have never done that when I was drinking I would have just been like oh open more wine like that's gonna help (laughs) right you know and so um yeah it's just it's I just feel a lot better. I feel like a different person. It's so awesome to see you. And Uh, I didn't know you before, but you're amazing. Um, (laughs) Do you think in, um, you've already kind of talked about this in several ways, but do you think that you're just your beliefs and your thoughts about what's possible for life are just different now and what alcohol really meant for you? Right. Yeah. Um, I mean, I used to just think I needed it to have fun and connect with people and that it was enhancing my experience. Like I really used to think that like, oh, and that now I just, I can't, I don't even, that doesn't make any sense. Like it's the complete opposite. Mm-hmm. It does the opposite of what it promises. Basically. I think like any commercial that you see with alcohol, like it just shows people having fun and this connection and you're going to get together and have this great time. And it's like, when has that ever happened? Right. You know, it's always a disaster. You always feel like shit the next day. You always have like the inner combos and the spiraling. And, um, even if, you know, even if you weren't going on like a huge partying thing, I don't know, but, um, so I'm just realizing I can have a way better life without it. Mm-hmm. Like I, my life is so much better. It's, I've been over a little over a year now and it's, it's changed in ways that you know, I don't even, you just didn't even know possible. I right. Guess. 
Like, I, didn't, yeah. I couldn't even say what they were because like I didn't even know back right or something yeah I was just saying and I kind of actually something that I know a lot of people struggle with is mm -hmm. those thoughts of you know I have more fun or I can be more like myself or I can loosen up and so what do you do now when you are in a situation that feels a little uncomfortable or you're you know that isn't that you don't just drink to be like right. to just forget that you're feeling maybe right. new or whatever well i think like listening to that inner voice you know and i don't like going to parties and i actually don't like being around a lot of people so why don't i listen to that i'm an introvert so i you know i'm not gonna put myself in a lot of positions that I used to because I thought I had to to like fit in mm. so um I guess I totally lost my train of yeah no, you were just I was just so you're just you're listening in you're you're honoring more of who you who are I am. yeah that you like and I mean I've met you out or like yeah out, but I met you at a <laughs> gathering and so you know, you showed up for, it was a workshop that, that I was putting on and you came to that. And, um, can you tell me a little bit about that? Is that okay? Yeah. yeah. I met Mary at, she did a lighting ceremony and I loved it because it was during the holidays and you just said, celebrate the holidays differently. Um, which was exactly where I was at. Cause I'm like, I'm not going to celebrate these holidays with opening a million bottles of champagne. Um, and I just had like such a calling to coming to that. And it was just, it was one of my first sober activities actually with a group. And I think when you show up without alcohol, you just show up with all your power and confidence. Yeah. You know, like this is me a hundred percent and I don't need that. And yeah. So That's so awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And I think giving yourself, like, it sounds like you really just have been giving yourself permission to do what feels good, to do what feels right. And what listening to what you have a calling for and going with that. And that's so yeah. empowering. Like it's not yeah. limiting you in any way. And I'm just so yeah. glad. Yeah. Um, so what do you think is, what is a, a challenge that you still currently face when it comes to alcohol, if there are any? Um, I think that like the stigma behind having a problem with alcohol, like people labeling you as like an alcoholic or the way that like people that don't drink are viewed as society. Like I'm still dealing with that. Like I feel like once people hear you don't drink, it's like, oh, or they get that look on their face like, hmm, okay. You know, like we have stigmas about it, about people that I used to like, oh, they don't drink, oh, what a snore, you know, like, I used to think those things about people, like, oh, you know, and so I guess it's just real, like, just the labels of um, what people, I unfortunately care about what people think of me still, <laughs> I'm still working on this, but, um, and so I, that's just my main thing, is just kind of having that label of being this, like, what society views as a, alcoholic or oh you know Megan was able to party before and now she can't um poor Megan when it's like no like not poor Megan poor you guys like not poor you guys either but you know like I don't know 
So just those stigmas. I don't think that people, like society knows what to really do with, you either get thrown into like, you're either, you know, you're kind of lumped into this group of people that like, they can't handle alcohol when I, you know, and it's a, I just, I don't even know what I'm trying to say, but just that, that lump of people that we get thrown into as people that don't drink when it's just like, no, like we shouldn't be drinking this stuff. Like there's nothing wrong with us. Like there's something wrong with the substance. Mm -hmm. So kind of around that, I'm still kind of working out those things, but I think that's struggle is trying to get people to understand you know and see it differently see it more as like a strength and empower to say no to something rather than like I'm sick and sick and struggling and I I can't drink anymore totally you know yeah thank you so much for making that distinction because I think that those that's those social stigmas and you know there's so many of those stories that society and like our consumer driven society creates too it's like the bigger the better the american dream all the things you should have and the new car and the you know it's like this whole thing and then you know when you're when we live in the 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 world where the circumstances of our lives are what's supposed to make us happy that's Mm -hmm. kind of the that's kind of what we're taught in general um, that that's, of course, we look to that. And so everyone else believes that, but I really am so hopeful and in belief. And if anything amazing <laughs> comes out of this pandemic, I really think that it will be an opportunity for people to realize that the circumstances in the, of the outer world aren't necessarily, aren't what's dictating our ability to choose happiness or our ability to interpret our lives. And that that really is up to us and our growing awareness not to say that any of the things are amazing but you know when you allow right. your emotions when you show up for an issue and you and you handle it and you don't hide from feeling right. um, we have that ability so I think that that's so much of the reason why people decide to not get help or why they think oh why you know I should be able to moderate well, that's not how your brain works. That's not part of the human condition. And yeah, again, it's going to take up so much room. So um, I kind of on that note a little bit is um, I always love to talk to my beautiful guests about the qualities of the feminine and how that has shown up for you differently or kind of your view of of what it means to be a woman, um, having more of a feminine relationship with your life now because I think that that's the piece in our society really that's missing so much is that we're supposed to like march through and be strong and being strong means covering up our emotions or just doing it anyway or whatever and I think that that's really limiting us so I'd love to hear your view yeah I mean alcohol is just another way for them to keep us down right (laughs) and to keep us going with the program and I think alcohol it just keeps us in a mindset of um you know that you're not as good you're not good Mm -hmm. Um, and so yeah I think it keeps us down and I think um is this for like the divine feminine support like intuition yeah however it shows up I'm I'm I think like with my intuition is the big thing 
um, mm-hmm. I'm able to just be more present with that and listen to that more now that I don't have um, two bottles of wine going through my bloodstream. <laughs> Yeah, that would help for sure. Absolutely. <laughs> but um, yeah. No, I love that. That's just another way to keep us down. And I couldn't agree. I couldn't agree with you more. And I have talked about this on the podcast and I don't know what your experience has been like with it, but I've always been a pretty, I've always been very independent and um, like being able to drink or go out by myself and drink um, kind of made me feel this stuff like false sense of empowerment almost, or like that I could just, I can hang out at the bar and sit at the bar, just like any other guy, um, and be like, Oh, look at me. I don't even know what it was, but I think it was this sense of empowerment driven by masculine stereotypes or masculine ideas rather than being a woman driven by the feminine driven by the essence of who I was that I just didn't even know existed until I quit drinking. Right. Isn't that wild? It's wild. <laughs> yeah. It's so crazy. I mean, yeah. we were saying we were, I mean, you've been saying, um, you know, really like meeting your, like a person, a version of yourself that you just didn't even know or how much it's funny. Cause you say how much I've changed, but it's really how much more you've become. Right. right? of yourself yeah and it's just so neat it's so cool (laughs) it's so awesome and it's just the beginning you know I know it's only been a year that's what I always think I'm like oh my god what's it gonna be in like a few years like this is just the start and you know and I'm happy I'm very fortunate that I caught it for myself at the time that I did you know I already gave 15 years of it I'm not giving any more time to alcohol yeah that's so awesome would you hear would you i mean you probably already said it but what would you say your big why is for committing to this shift in your life mental health a hundred percent but my agoraphobia was so bad i mean i used to wish i used to be like oh my god i would give a finger to not have to experience this anxiety or I'd give a toe. Like I would wish like anything to not have to have Mm. anxiety in my life. And the fact that that's gone and I can drive my car and go see my mom. And like, you keep saying show up mental health. I mean, yeah, it's a depressant. Like (laughs) it causes, like it causes anxiety, you know? Yeah, I know. And we wonder why there's such an increase in mental mental health and in our culture well what's so interesting too is our our standard for mental health is pretty low when it's like oh there's a mental health issue when you're being treated for it but but like there's physical well right and there's physical fitness and we know about diet and exercise and you know a lot of people will maintain those but then when it comes to like emotional and mental health it's like you need to do the same thing regardless if you're on medication or not, you're growing into your awareness, you're evolving into, into the depths of what's possible to be a human and not being so reactive um, to life all the time. So, so in closing, I would love to ask you if you, for our listeners, and of course, if there's anything else you want to say, you can let me know, but, um, what is something that you would, um, 
some advice that you would give to someone who is just starting on this path or has like really heard that calling, but keeps ignoring that version of herself. That's like, help me get me out of here. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess it's just keep going, just keep doing it and give it a try. And it's just the ultimate freedom. It's the best gift I've ever given myself. And it's just being able to be free. Like, it's free now that's like that's the best word I can describe um and you know read all the stuff that, like read all the sober lit like there's so much good sober lit out there right now and like that's all I did was just like surround myself with podcasts and listening to other people's stories um that was so helpful and just keep going you know everything everything gets better I think and a year, you know, if I had seen myself like January of 2019 and seen myself now, I mean, those are, I know we keep saying it, but it's just two different people, even pictures of myself. I look like a different person, you know, and it's just this kind of, it's just freedom and power, I guess, and confidence. I love that. I know. And it's just so inspiring to hear because I know when you're in the thick of it, it's like, the beliefs are just blinders and you just can't even imagine, but I think it's so important to hear other women who are like, no, I've had, you know, I was in it. I was drinking to go to brunch. And, but like, I feel like the, the best version of myself that I've ever felt. And I mean, I thought I had my shit together back then. You know, I thought that drinking was like, cool and sophisticated and it made me more interesting and smarter and it was all of that is the opposite like mm-hmm. it, it couldn't be less true um and just being able to see that now um so I you know I would encourage and they just hope that anybody that is listening to this will just give it a shot and just try it <laughs> and don't count. Don't do like, Oh, I'm or count. If you need to do whatever you need to do. But you know, I always, before I fully stopped, I would try and do like 30 days, but I just couldn't wait, you know, day 29, I was already counting down until I could have my glass of wine. <laughs> right. You know? So yeah, totally. And that's why I do think like the counting, the counting, the numbers, I mean, it's so inspiring if, when you're staying away from it and if you've shifted your mind, but if it's just that, like drink, taking a break to prove to yourself that you can, then you're really right. not changing the patterning of your thoughts and the, right. the conditioning of the mind. So I'm glad that you brought that up because, um, you just go right back to what you were doing before. So right. does it really matter? You know, right. um, and what is tell me a little bit about like how you're throwing a better party because of it you talked so much about all like all of the awesome stuff that you're doing but what are some ways that you like to have fun (laughs) well we're in strange times right now with quarantine so going on lots of bike rides which i never would have imagined doing before but you know, connecting like with nature and going on hikes and, um, just honestly being present, you know, I can, I'm doing all the same things that I used to do. You know, I still go and play pool and go to shows and go to the movies and go out to eat. But the difference is that this time I'm present Mm. and I never was before. I was always just thinking about 
what we were drinking or thinking that that was the party and that was the fun. And it's like, that's not the part, like the drinking part is not the party. Right. (laughs) (laughs) No, the party is just, I don't know, being in the now and being present and remembering. And um, I mean, this holiday season was like my first sober holiday season as a grown up, And it was like the best Christmas I've ever had. Mm. you know and that was no like not having like you don't have to have those mimosas in the morning for it to be like a fun memorable Christmas yeah Uh, just showing up (laughs) I love that thank you so much for being here and I'm so excited for everyone to listen to this there was so much great valuable I feel like I could talk to you forever about this there's so many things (laughs) I know it's true because it's just like this unraveling of life and you're like okay all it really was ever about was the alcohol but like like you said the life is all happening like underneath that and um like like, that's what we were trying to get to with the alcohol I feel like like we were trying to get to the connection and being present and it just does it just does the opposite of everything that it says it will do yeah it's that is so interesting because I've thought a lot about that too on like a spiritual level Um, But I think it's like, it kind of gets away from you and you develop the, you know, the habit before you're realizing what it is. Because at first it is like fun and innocent and you're young and, you know, no one has told you (laughs) what's the problem and um, that like life, you know, is a really great time and you don't need alcohol for that so I mean it's just so ingrained from so early on to just seeing it everywhere and like you just we're so conditioned to just think that it's normal and yeah absolutely saying like no that's actually not normal like let's make drinking be what's not normal anymore yeah I think it's happening I honestly really do and I think that the more people share their story about it and have fun I mean you have to be willing to, to enjoy life, you know, instead of sitting in deprivation, it has to be a willingness. Like you were saying, like you were just so excited and you finally felt freedom and, you know, not, I mean, life is still life, right? Yeah. Like stuff comes up, but you can't sit around pouting saying, why me? Right. You got to go and be like, oh no, I'm going to, now I'm going to go really do it. Now I'm really going to see what this is about. And it takes, like you said, I mean, it takes some time to get there and depending on the other things that show up underneath it, because you, for me, I know I found there was a lot of problems that I, I solved for with alcohol that I didn't like know I had because I was just like things happened in life, but I was always drinking. So it just didn't affect me that I had to kind of go backwards and be like, Ooh, that thing <laughs> that I never really dealt with. Um, right. From this place, I, I'm just so much more capable of handling my emotions. Like, okay, I feel like, you know, I don't feel good, but it's way right. better than feeling like anxiety for right. many days. <laughs> well, I mean, it's so nuts that I used to like have a bad day and turn to wine. Right. Um, like, to make it even worse like why did I think that was making it better but anyway yeah it's just the human brain that gets used to addictive addictive substance (laughs) yeah I mean it happens with so many things too I mean it could even happen with relationships you know the ways that our chemicals work in our brain and I really try to make sure that that the people that are listening to this and my clients know that 
there's nothing wrong with your brain. Your brain is working a hundred percent normal. It's just gotten used to these patternings and to your subconscious mind, it is receiving pleasure, even if right. the next day it's not. Um, but the pleasure and the efficiency um, and the avoidance of pain are like the triple threat that your brain is like the hangover doesn't even pale. Like it, it's, it's still not bad enough. Um, so there has to be, there has to be a shift, a different look at it. You know, you have to look at it from a new light, like, okay, well, my subconscious brain isn't getting it. So I got to use this higher part of my brain that I've been given as a human. That's amazing and solve it from that problem and we're just not taught how to do that we're not taught about awareness um but we are now because we're sharing this (laughs) (laughs) thank you thank you so much and yes i hope that you have a lovely day and um just enjoying all the the magical things about your new life and i'm just so excited that um, you and your husband are having a good time in quarantine together. Working on it. <laughs> okay. Bye-bye. Thank you so much. You're welcome. The process of unraveling your story outside of the confines of alcohol is truly a sacred and beautiful journey of the self. Rediscover who you are in a whole new world again. Stop by my website, Mary Wagstaff Coach. to get instant access to the on-demand workshop of my revolutionary five shifts approach. And while you're there, you can sign up for a one-on-one consultation where we will create together your life intention. This is the framework for which all of your decisions around alcohol are made from your truest and highest self. In addition to working remotely worldwide, I host private one-on-one healing retreats at my sanctuary in Mount Hood, Oregon. I can't wait to connect.